She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. He was endorsing me. I wasn't endorsing him. Uh, and I haven't decided who I'm going to endorse in 2020. I'm going to wait and see what the alternatives are. But I pointed out there are places where we agree on a whole series of policy fronts. I get along fine with the president, but I do have policy disagreements. I have not been afraid ever to challenge the president. In fact, if you look at the voting records, I am more independent than any other Republican in the Senate. But yet I keep good relations with the president because I respect the office. I respect the president, Donald Trump, and I try to work with him to try to get good things done for the country and for my state. The people of this country elected us to work. It is time the Democrats got to work. Stop with the partisanship. Stop focusing on 2020. You listen, Brian, it's like, you know, everybody around here is focused on 2020 and the Democrats running for president. They need to do their jobs right now. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> yes, it's the new year and we're back live and direct to you on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Yes, that's what we're doing here right now. It's the Christian worldview and news and information, politics, culture, and anything else in between and always your calls. So I have so much stuff today. If you're watching the live stream, I'm just going to give you like this is not even my whole group of things that I was able to locate. And we are going to be having our fantastic guest this hour. We have Peter Roth. He's a columnist. And he's going to talk a little bit about this Romney op-ed. And the reason I, I feel like this is still something to, to kind of pick over, if you will, is that Mitt Romney is obviously setting a tone for something. Now, it occurred to me yesterday, I was uh, battling some traffic, coming back from my long adventure at the emergency room. And I, as I was driving along, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Mitt Romney sees himself as this fine, upstanding individual, someone who would never, you know, be insulting to someone else. And he just comes from a different cut of wool, if you will, than the president. He's not a street fighter. Um, and he really, he really takes the temperature, you know, put the finger in the wind and see which way it's blowing. And then you kind of go that way. He was fine with getting the president's endorsement. He was also fine with calling the president a con man. He has flip-flopped on Trump so many times. Now, saying that, we acknowledge that President Trump has also been friend and foe with people. He's, he, he doesn't mind ripping you a new one and then being your friend. That is not a problem for uh, President Trump, candidate Trump, et cetera. But it is a little interesting to see Mitt Romney expect us to take him seriously with his op-ed and all of that. Before he's even sworn in as a junior senator, he's already trying to make waves and kind of trying to, you know, pick up the mantle of John McCain and other rhinos extraordinaire. And I don't care if you love John McCain. You know what? You have a right to your feelings and you have a right to uh, love and respect that man. And, and if he's your hero, God bless you. But I'm talking about how he voted. I am not talking about anything other than how that man not just voted incorrectly, but corrupted others into voting incorrectly. If you want to be a Democrat, go be a Democrat. Notice the Democrats don't have a whole bunch of people in their caucus that regularly cross the aisle to work with the Republicans. Have you noticed that? It's only the Republicans who have this huge problem with electing people and sending them to D.C. only to have those people go cross arms and link arms with the Democrats and and they make friends with them and start eating with them and showing up in the cafeteria and talking about my friend across the aisle and my good friend this and that. And before you know it, all the bootlicking has commenced and they're voting with the Democrats. Notice Democrats don't have a problem with that. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't care if you want to be a Democrat beyond the fact that you're probably going to hell. Sorry, not sorry. But you just go be a Democrat then. Don't come over to the Republican side and run as a Republican and try to make yourself sound all conservative and like you like the platform. And then as soon as you get to D.C., put some dumb op-ed out about how the president, although he's accomplished all of these fantastic things, he's a morally inferior person like you are morally superior. If I'm remembering correctly, Mitt Romney, who is the husband to one wife, grandfather to many and has other things in his personal backstory and his accomplishments that are very commendable, also oversaw investments that put dollars into Stericycle, an organization that exists to dispose of aborted fetal remains. So, I mean, you know, before you address yourself to the speck in Donald Trump's eye, why don't you address the beam in your own eye, Mittens? 
first pick yourself up and I don't care where you have to go. I don't care how far you have to travel. Find a spine, find a steel spine. And then once you've got that, you know, installed and you can stand up straight of your own volition and you don't need to be carried by Utah or any other voters you've carpet bagged your way into, then you can probably say, you know what? I don't like this or I don't like that. But until then, if you are just going to be a spineless, wimpy, you know, kind of faux Democrat, why should we listen to you? And I'm not the only one who feels this way. Rand Paul was asked about this op-ed and I felt like he had a really measured response because, um, yeah, it was kind of measured compared to what I just said. So here's number three. Well, you know, there is a big danger that uh, the government shut down and no one notices. And uh, in the past, the shutdowns have always been, or a lot of them have been with a Democrat president, and they do everything possible, like closing down overpasses, closing down empty parking lots, closing down the World War II memorial, which has no attendant or no cost to keep open. This time, they're not doing that, and so it's not quite as noticeable. Plus, 75% of the government's already funded, including the military. So there is a chance nobody notices. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to leave the government closed, so I think there could be a compromise. But lost in all of this about the wall is the Democrats' position right now is $0 for the wall. Every one of them voted for $25 billion for a wall last year. So certainly there is some kind of compromise to be had. If the president's asking for $5 billion and the Democrats are zero, certainly somewhere in between the two there can be a compromise made. Okay, I'm sorry. I told you guys that was about Mitt Romney. There he's talking about um, the wall funding and this whole fiasco with the Democrats. And that, that was actually excellent audio from him. But now he's going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Mitt Romney, I believe. This is number uh, Rand Paul 2. It's cut four. Why is he out there calling the president dishonest? I think that uh, when you attack someone's character like that, I think that's such a low blow and so personally directed and so malevolent that uh, it's not something like, oh, we're going to, you know, someone's going to change their character. He's now called his character dishonest. And I think that's a bad way for him to start in the Senate because I think it's going to spoil relations between his representation of Utah and the president. <laughs> so, you know, because here's here's the thing. And I am nobody's saint, but it just occurs to me um, when I was elected to my teensy weensy little position as a school board member one of the things I took so seriously, I remember talking to my husband about it in our kitchen and I'd just been elected and, and I'd served an appointment for 11 months, then ran and lost and came back and ran unopposed. And I, you know, so I'm elected. And my husband was like, now that you're elected and you, you know, you've got the full mantle and you're going in there on behalf of the constituents of, of, uh, you know, of, uh, the, the school district, what, what do you, what do you like? What is your aim? I know what, what you have in mind, but what is your chief aim you're going in there to do? And I said, you know, it just hits me like a ton of bricks because I've gotten so many nice cards and letters. Like immediately after winning, I got so many nice cards and letters from people who said, thank you so much for running and we're so behind you. And I hope you, you know, just continue to do the things you did when you were a volunteer, represent us. And I thought to myself, you know, when I was reading their cards and letters, I can't forget this moment. I can't forget how nice it is to have these people sending me here. I can't believe that these notes and cards and everything weren't, it, this is time they took out of their day to write me and then put it in an envelope and then put a stamp on it and put it in their mailbox and raise a little red flag or drop it off at a, at a, you know, at a post office. I've got to remember this so that when I get there and these others start pressuring me, I've got to remember these people sent me to that school board for a reason. And so, you know, sent me, well, I was still living at home, obviously, and sent me, I'm just going to these meetings twice a month in, in, the, in the district office building, the administrative office building, but it was still a big, big deal. And so when I think about the comparison between that and the, the amount of money that we were, you know, overseeing a budget for and the number of administrators and the responsibilities that we had, and then I compare it to these people who are working in the Senate and the the sheer number of people they're representing only two senators per state so half of the people of utah sent this man there you know all of the people voted but he represents you know half the state two senators come on how can his first act out the gate be something self-serving like this how can it be that this man thinks that 
instead of working on issues that are specific to the state of Utah or issues that impact the entire country that Utahns sent him there to represent them on, it's his job to take the president on and to down talk him and, and, and address him. People in his state that sent him to the Senate also voted for President Trump. And there isn't anybody who voted for Donald Trump who didn't know what they were getting. It's not like you woke up one day and you were in some kind of weird time distortion. If you watch sci-fi, you know what I'm talking about. You just were one second, you were just living your life and Barack Obama was president. And then the next second, you woke up or you turned around a corner or you opened your front door. And instead of being still Barack Obama as a president, um, it's the end of his presidency. And Donald Trump's just been elected. And you just all you had was like the day before you just voted. That's not how this thing works. Everyone knew going in that they were electing a street fighter, someone who would rather eat McDonald's cheeseburgers than lobster and, uh, you know, beef bourguignon. The man can have any meal he likes and he prefers McDonald's. The man could be living and flying around in that ridiculous If you've ever seen a picture of that helicopter he used to fly around in, that was his main mode of transportation. And you compare that to the way he's living now. He took a step down to be the president. I'm talking about luxury-wise. I'm talking about freedom-wise. And remember, he was super popular before he said, you know what, I am really running this time. I'm not just playing around. I'm running. I'm running as a Republican, and immigration is my issue. Before he made that first statement, he was every rap star has to drop the name Donald Trump in their rap music. Just, just check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. He couldn't have been in a better position Personally, popularity-wise, all of it. And his wife and his daughter, Ivanka, very popular online social media, former models. His son, you know, led a private lifestyle, was going to a school where he was extremely popular and his last name wasn't an expletive. This is absolutely not a shock when we see Donald Trump erupt or lose his temper or send out, you know, tweets that maybe we just, you know, it's just offends our sensibilities. No one should be shocked by this. And so I, 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 I don't buy it that Mitt Romney, uh, you know, was, was watching the first two years of Trump's presidency and just, you know, scratching his chin and, you know, pondering, how could this be? How could, how could, how could Donald Trump speak this way? How could he send these kinds of tweets? I, my sweater vest feels tight. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm flummoxed. I'm perplexed. I don't feel like I can have my beef bourguignon for dinner tonight. You know, do, do you believe that Mitt Romney has been surprised by the president's demeanor? He's literally fighting people tooth and nail for the right to govern our country as the elected president. Nancy Pelosi announced yesterday upon her swearing back into the speakership that she is equal to the president. Now, I don't know what kinds of books they taught uh, civics in back when she was a girl. But as I remember it, we have the three co-equal branches of government. But the president is the commander in chief, not of the executive branch, but of the United States Armed Forces and the United States of America. He's not the commander-in-chief of Congress. He's not the commander-in-chief of Kabuki Land or Unicornville. He is the president of the entire country, meaning he heads up our whole government. Now, he's not all-powerful. The checks and balances are utilized to make sure that he doesn't operate our country like a dictatorship. And I think he's doing a pretty good job of navigating the murky waters of the swamp, but she is not equal in power to the president because if that were the case, there would be a North Wing for the Speaker of the House at the White House, and then there'd be be a South Wing for uh, the Majority Leader in the Senate. Is that something I missed on my six individual White House tours, FBI agent tours? I've been there six times. I haven't seen any place for the Speaker of the House to dwell at the White House. I guess I'll just have to keep waiting for that to come up. When we get back, we're going to have Peter Ross. Stay right there.
Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Ashley Bratcher is an actress in the upcoming film Unplanned. The story in the film is powerful, but so is her personal story. The film will be out in March, and she tells about the conversion of Abby Johnson, who was a clinic director for Planned Parenthood and became a pro-life activist. Ashley auditioned for the part and considered herself pro-life, but admits she was certainly not an activist. However, as she read more about Abby Johnson and about Planned Parenthood, she was convicted and thrilled she got the part. When she got the call to play the role, she was told to pack for seven weeks and be ready to leave in a few hours. It all happened so quickly she didn't have time to tell her family and friends why she left. So when her mother called, she hesitantly answered because of their strained relationship. When Ashley was in high school, her mother shared with her that she had an abortion when she was 16. Three years later, she had Ashley. As Ashley began to tell her mother the story about Abby Johnson and Planned Parenthood, her mother fell apart. She said, I need to tell you something I've never told you before. Through tears, she confessed, I was going to abort you. In fact, she was on the table for abortion when she changed her mind. Ashley later called her father and asked if the story was true. He admitted that it was and added that they didn't have enough money for the abortion, so he pawned a shotgun to pay for the abortion. Ashley is so grateful that her mother believed her life was more valuable than the price of a pawn shotgun. Now she has a story to tell that's just about as powerful as the story she's telling about Abby Johnson in the upcoming movie Unplanned. When the film comes out, I encourage you to watch it and bring your friends. The story in the film is powerful, but so is the backstory of the actress in the film. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. Um, so it's my pleasure to welcome my next guest who has been on the show before. And he's one of my favorites because he's never wrong. And he doesn't mince words about it. And I enjoy that kind of confidence and correctness. Being Stacy on the right, that's actually rejuvenating to hear. And I'm specifically excited to speak with him about this. It's just, it's kind of crazy. Um, we've got 2019. We're in it to win it. And the Democrats have taken back the House, which I've been yawning at their antics, but it's real. They're, they're in control again. And so I want to get predictions from Peter for 2019. And uh, I want to hear his take on Mitt Romney going full metal rhino uh, with his op-ed. So Peter Roth, columnist and uh, right person extraordinaire, thanks for joining the show. Hey, Stacey. How are you? I'm <laughs> pretty good. I'm just like, I'm still flabbergasted that Mitt Romney took his sweater vest off and got all riled up and wrote that op-ed. I'm 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 not. I think I think it is it is, it is classic Mitt Romney. Um, <laughs> he is not. Um, he, he's not a populist. He, he is an elitist. Um, he um, couldn't uh, defeat Barack Obama in 2012. Uh, I think what's really distressing here is that he actually sought out President Trump's endorsement for the foreign-enhanced Senate seat that he now occupies. President Trump was happy to comply. Uh, he endorsed Romney warmly, friendly, and then Romney goes off, and even before 
be sworn in pens a piece for the Washington Post, not the Salt Lake paper, um, but the Washington Post, the, the paper of the D.C. establishment, mm-hmm. in which he attacks not what Trump is doing, but Trump's character, Trump's behavior, um, Trump the person, not not Trump's policies, but Trump the person. And I, I just thought it was kind of a low blow. But it sets him up to be the new John McCain, and it'll get him on Meet the Press, and it'll get him in the newspaper. And, you know, I, some people define being effective by the number of times um, they get talked about in, in newspaper articles and on television. And Peter, are, are, are we to understand from that that he couldn't have gotten on to Meet the Press as a junior senator from Utah and former presidential candidate without going here? Like, this is where he had to go to get that? Um, it's a guarantee of getting there. Just, just like this, this congresswoman from this new congresswoman from uh, from Michigan, Shabab, um, who um, the first Palestinian American in Congress who at a rally talked about impeaching the MFR. Only she filled in the blanks, um, and now everybody's talking about her. Or um, Alexandria um, uh, Octavia Cortez, the new congresswoman from. Um, New York, who is um, a ubiquitous president on social media, uh, is is given to antics uh, that are not within the mainstream of what we expect from U.S. politicians, left or right, uh, and then goes on and complains about people treating her like she's treating her funny because she's different. Um, you know, she wants to be talked about, and, and you know, because they they. They've learned an important lesson that in the, in the social media culture, uh, the people that get talked about are the people that get to drive the agenda. So let's talk just briefly, Peter. I know you've, you've probably maybe even sick of this topic, but I have to bring it up. There's this audio clip of Mitt Romney saying that he, he's not going to challenge the president for the primary in 2020. He's, he's not angling to be the president of the United States. But a lot of people back channel and online, the comments sections are everybody's rife with these speculations that Mitt Romney still wants to be the president. He can't believe he lost and he is going to try to sabotage President Trump's reelection bid. Uh, I think Romney still wants to be president. Um, I, I, I don't I don't think that's a that's a bug that goes away easily. Uh, I think um, that. That Romney's not going to be president. I think he knows he's not going to be president. So if he can't be the president, um, picking the president may be the next best thing. Now, you know, it, it, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world for Trump if the next two years come down to uh, for, for for the president um, an ongoing battle between Trump and Romney um, because you know he he, he played you know. He, Played mittens like a cat with a with a fresh mouse back when he was considering him ostensibly for Secretary of State. Uh, and if it's if it's if, if if Romney occupies the position of chief opponent to the president on the right, it prevents somebody who possibly could have a more effective message from mm. taking that position. So it's not all downside for Trump. Um, you know, people, people demonstrate that they just get tired of Romney. Yeah, I'm already tired of him. So much of him. I'm already tired of him. I, I, I actually was not looking forward to him going. I, I hoped that the people of Utah would not send him because he really hadn't been living in Utah in a while and it felt like carpet bagging. And I know that, that Mitt Romney has a gaggle of grandkids And it's perfectly fine for someone to run unsuccessfully for the presidency and then go into the private life after having been a governor and all of that. And I I actually had hopes that he would do that because I felt I could respect him a great deal if he did. And now that he's decided that politics just can't live without him, I'm exhausted by this continual. he, He just has this need to be in front of the camera. And I'm just like everybody else. You know, Peter, I like going on Fox and MSNBC and everywhere else. I like doing those things. But I'm also not forcing myself into the public arena. I only go on when I'm asked. He, he seems to have this need to gin up some kind of story that would then put him out front so people can ask him what he thinks, like he's equal to the president. And I'm sorry, he's just not. Well, he's taking advantage of the fact that 
um, the left likes to promote, the left within the media culture likes to promote a certain kind of Republican candidate um, or a certain kind of Republican that they, it, you know, it, it, the Republican Party didn't make John McCain the face of opposition to George W. Bush. Um, and the Republican Party didn't didn't make Mitt Romney the face of opposition to um, to um, Donald Trump any more than they made Bob Corker or Jeff Flake two two failed and now retired senators the opposition. The the New York Times and CNN did that. Um, I you know I I don't I don't know I I don't know if anyone um, who follows Romney with same kind of passion and devotion um, that they support Trump policies. I, I didn't really know anybody who followed John McCain with the same kind of passion and devotion that they may have felt towards George W. Bush. Um, I don't think there is anybody, Peter. <laughs> I, I wasn't excited to vote for him. I, I voted for him because obviously I didn't want President Obama. Um, I, I got to say that there's... There's also an element of him being used, but he doesn't recognize it. Like, you know, you know, it's worse than being well, a patsy. Well, he doesn't mind. Well, you yeah. Know, which, and, I, and I don't know which is worse, if, he, if, if, if he's ignorant or he's apathetic. He doesn't know or he doesn't care. Yeah. And also, I, I got to bring it up. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to. But in the comments over the YouTube stream, someone mentioned that, remember when Mitt had Obama on the ropes and he eviscerated him at that debate. And then after that, he let up. It's like he gave up. And not only did Obama come back from that, but then someone brought out the binders of women thing and they totally destroyed his opportunity to be the president. No one did that to Mitt Romney. He did that to himself. Yeah, well, Mitt, Mitt Romney did not run a very smooth um, or effective campaign. He could not establish a connection with the American electorate, um, you know, and, and Obama is one of the few presidents who was reelected with fewer votes um, than he won getting elected. Um, usually, um, reelected presidents build on their mandates. Um, I think Obama was beatable. I think Obama was beatable when, if if he had been opposed by a conservative who offered a clear contrast to Obama. But Romney, Romney never appeared to have the courage to pull the trigger on any of the things that he said he believed. I mean, and, 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 I, and that was kind of clear in the debate. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, and, and also he was, what, what is, uh, President Trump calls him choke artists. When people get you get to the point where you're going to win, you're, you you got the opponent down, and then you just choke. That's what he did, and we did not need him as president. It was better for us to have Obama, someone we clearly could oppose, than to have a rhino like uh, you know Mitt Romney in there. Um, I won't. I won't. I, I, I I'm not sure I can endorse. It go go so far as to endorse that, but I I would. I I think I think Romney would have signed tax cuts and he would have signed reforms and and he would have um, done the things asked of him of a Republican controlled Congress. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you would have had any any bold, brave initiatives. Um, I you know, I, I I imagine Mitt Romney is the guy trying to tinker with Obamacare to make it work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than a Donald Trump coming in and saying Throw this thing on the junk pile. Let's start again. And, you know, we came within one vote of doing that. Uh, so we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens and we'll see where it goes. I, I you know, I, 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 I want to look forward. You know, I want, I want to, you know, I want to look ahead. I, I, I don't know when the government's going to reopen. Um, I'm, Donald Trump is sticking to his guns. On, on refusing to move forward on anything that doesn't include at least some funding for the wall. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Pelosi is sticking to her guns and saying no money for the wall at all. I don't, I don't know how you get a compromise that anyone can live with out of that, although you know, Trump is now putting 
um, Dreamers on the table, saying he's willing to consider a fix to the Dreamer problem, which I think most Americans would support. Um, mm. I, I, I know America plenty of Americans who wouldn't, but if it was the wall and the end to chain migration, then sure, they'd support it. Like, I'm willing to horse trade for it. I'll never support yeah. it as in it's my idea, but definitely if it's horse trading, then fine. You know, put the 700000 well, on there, put a cap you, on you, it. When you, I think when you put it to people, look, you know, we're talking about people who were brought to the United States by their parents um, who had no choice in the matter, and they've been good students, and they're good citizens, and they play by the rule um, that if we want to make some kind of an exception for, for, for this class of this class of illegal immigrant, you know, they, 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 they didn't come here by choice. They were brought here. They played by the rules. They're trying to be good American citizens. They're exactly the kind of people you want to be American citizens. Um, I think most Americans would accept, would be willing to accept that, particularly if it included well funding or stepped up border security. Um, end of chain migration, I I think is possible. Uh, I don't think it's possible right now. I think it's possible maybe next year. Um, but you know the, the the Democrats are 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 trying to to, to bring in guest voters. They are. They're already doing it in California. So I let, now that we're on that tack, let, I'm interested in your predictions for uh, 2019 under Leader Pelosi, who she's never met a hand. She's not willing to overplay. And she's one of their more moderated, you know, public figures in the Democrat side. Now that Ocasio-Cortez and her generation of Democrats is now rising to power, um, they're really they're socialists, but they're they're coming in under the Democrat mantle. What's about to happen, Peter? What do you see happening? Because I've seen people on the right saying, well, now the president's going to get impeached. I'm like, so what? Bill Clinton was impeached and he stayed in office. If this is the game we have to play to get stuff done, then fine, let's play it. But while they're impeaching the president, we have some things that we can do from through the Senate Judiciary Panel to fight back against these Democrats who have also broken the law. I, I think they'll focus on judges. I think they'll focus on... Um reforms within the government that the president does not have to go to Congress um, to get approval for. Uh, I think that Nancy Pelosi will um, will try to frustrate that at every level. You have, to, you have to remember, there are no moderates left in the Democratic Party. There are liberals and there are leftists. And Nancy Pelosi is a, is a leftist. Um, she used to define the left-wing fringe of the Democratic Party. You're right that there are people out now beyond where she is, but, you know, even even if her style appears to be a little bit more moderate, her policies are not. Um, it's liberals and leftists in the Democratic Party, and America is still a center-right nation. So I think they're in for a big surprise. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that um, this, this 70% tax that um, Alexandra Octavio-Cortez is proposing, <laughs> or up to 70% tax, has not been shot down by Pelosi and Schumer and others as a non-starter. Um, if they are, if they are that wedded to the left-wing base, um, that they have to go, that they, that they can't knock down an idea of doubling the tax code. And I, I checked the disbursement tables earlier today on what that would do to my taxes, um, and it would, it, it would increase them significantly to the point where my um, where my where my I would not have to make I would have to make significant changes in my life in my in my lifestyle mm. um, well and you know what and I America's think America's not going to put up with that no and absolutely not even Will Smith heard about the French proposing a 75% tax and said I could not deal with that and he's a hardcore liberal himself out of Hollywood no less so Thank you so much for the predictions and for the fantastic commentary today, Peter. Happy Friday to you. Talk to you again soon. Happy Friday. Talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. That was Peter Roth, columnist and extraordinaire expert for the show. Guess what, guys? We have one more segment left after this. So you keep it here. We'll be right back.
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission convened to investigate the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, has issued their findings in a 447-page report. Shocking most, the panel of 14 voted 13 to 1 to arm Parkland teachers to protect against future attacks. You heard that right. The majority is convinced that a large percentage of teachers at the school should be trained and armed. School safety advocates have been clamoring for this for years. Some schools and universities now allow concealed carry by staff and students, but not enough. No one wants to consider the possibility of a violent criminal shooting up their child's school. But wisdom stands in the gate. It can happen, and being prepared saves lives. It's frankly horrifying that evil people can freely kill without resistance. Let's arm the teachers. There must be no safe place for evil, especially in our schools. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Life is never picture perfect. Human beings come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, and abilities. No matter how much we plan, no matter how much we think we're prepared, the unplanned happens all the time. It's how we respond to the unexpected that shows our true humanity. But many do not see the value of every human life. Too many are willing to discard those who don't fit the picture of perfection. Abortion destroys the chance to love and to be loved. We never know what will fill the frames of our lives or how empty those frames can be when we allow exceptions. Learn more at www.radiance.life. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. An Army veteran reunited with his dog makes the Dean's List. Matthew Kropp of Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, waited nervously inside the country cupboard near Lewisburg for a reunion that was long overdue. Mr. Kropp was set to reunite with his former military dog, Tina. The pair spent years together in Iraq, protecting the United States Embassy, but they were separated last December because of Tina's age. Mr. Kropp says seeing Tina for the first time in a year was exactly what he was hoping for. She remembers me and, we're, you know, we still got the tight bond that we uh, that we had before we, we got separated. Canine Hero Haven has adopted more than 200 military dogs since 2015, placing them with handlers and other combat veterans. Mr. Kropp, who celebrated his birthday, will have to go back to Iraq in the next few weeks, but thanks to Canine Hero Haven, Tina will stay with Mr. Kopp's wife and two children. Thank you, Matthew Kropp, for sharing your story with us. Janice Dean, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Do you believe the special counsel should honor and observe the Department of Justice guidance that states a sitting president cannot be indicted? I do not think that that is a uh, conclusive. No, I do not. So you think it's possible that special counsel Mueller could legally indict a sitting president? Let's just see what Mueller does. Let's spend our time on make, getting results for the American people. As you well know, there is long-standing Department of Justice guidance mm -hmm. that states a sitting president should not be indicted. I don't but it is not the that. law. And that is not the law. Everything indicates that a president can be indicted after he is no longer president of the United States. What about States. a sitting president? Well, a sitting president when he's no longer president of the United States. A president who is in office. Okay. Could Robert Mueller come back and say, I am seeking an indictment? I think that that is an open discussion. I think that is an open discussion in terms of the law. Backed into a corner, Nancy Pelosi gives the, uh, the, the, the interviewer what she wants, which is you know some red meat to put on the table for, for Democrats last night. Uh, people who the the sound of the words impeach Donald Trump actually gets their blood pumping and they're able to sit down to their meal and, and, and survive another day in Trump's America. Notice how when we were all sitting back in shock and horror as President Obama flouted the law and used his pen and phone to do everything he could to subvert the laws of this country and to end run around Congress, which he was shellacked, lost the Congress. Why? Because 
American voters didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like him evolving on social issues. They didn't like his wife changing their kids' lunches. They didn't like the command and control structure of the Obama administration. So the American people sent Republicans to both houses of Congress. And what did Obama do? He just used his pen and phone to get around it. And at not one point did any Republican say, well, Fast and Furious sounds like he needs to be impeached. Uh, You know, Green energy debacle, paying his friends to run these shell sham companies and take the American taxpayers' dollars through this infrastructure, big spending infusion of cash. Uh, Sounds like impeachment to me. Uh, You know, he's bowing and scraping and sending pallets of cash to Iran. Sounds like impeachment to me. There were many opportunities for the Republicans to say, you know what? It's this time it's war. We're going to impeach you. There were many times when that could have happened. And most of us were like, don't you dare. Don't you try to impeach that man. Let him serve out his presidency. Not because, and and for me, I'm black, so I don't care that Barack Obama was black. That is the least of my concerns. I didn't want him impeached because I knew it would be a nightmare for the Republicans because Americans want to see the person they elect serve out their term unless they've killed somebody or something horrible has happened abroad and they've done dereliction of duty. Americans want the person they've elected to serve out their term. And to run for re-election and to be either beaten or re-elected. That's what Americans want to see. And, you know, Peter Roth said last segment, America is still a center-right nation. It is. And you know how I know it is? Because I know there's some Democrat out there who just jerked their neck to attention like, what did she? Yeah, it is. You know how I know it is? Because most of the Democrats that I meet are married living in the suburbs or living in some you know, area of the city that they're revitalizing. They're living traditional lifestyles. Most of them, if they're not going to church actively, they still consider themselves to be Christians. You know, they, They're sending their kids to a Catholic school or parochial school or some kind of Christian school, or they're sending their kids to public school, but they're reading their kids the Bible at night. You know, I don't agree with the Democrat Party platform and their allegiance to the, the, the death god of abortion. I don't agree with their worshiping lawlessness and trying to force by shoehorn or hook or crook every illegal citizen anywhere on the planet. They just want them all to come in here. But when you meet everyday Democrats who aren't activists, they are not that different from the Republicans that I know, at least not the married ones. Now, the single ones, that's a whole different, that's a different show. That's a whole two, three segments to talk about how different life is for people who are single in America and how they gravitate towards the Democrats because they need someone to help take care of them. The women, especially if you're not married to a man, then you're going to be married to the government because in today's America working on your own, if you're not well-educated and you haven't made every decision correctly, and you're not just completely blessed in your career endeavors. And even then, you know, there are a lot of things that are sad, single women in their 30s and 40s who really want to be married but are feminists and so they wouldn't know a good man if he smacked them upside the face with a brick. These are the unhappy chicks that you meet constantly screaming about shouting abortions and how all men are a part of the patriarchy. A man is a part of the patriarchy until he says he loves you. Will you marry me and gets down on one knee with something sparkly? Then he's no longer a member of the patriarchy. He's your man. All of a sudden, all that feminist stuff You're going to try to put at least some of it down. You're going to try to put a a sweet face on for a little while before you dupe that man into marrying you. And so he can realize that you can't cook. You have no homemaking skills and you don't know nice words. You've never heard them and you can't speak them. It's not a language, you know. What men are looking for is not someone who will compete with them every day and make them feel inferior and put them down. Men are looking for a help meet. And women, the ones I know who want to get married, They'll never go on CNN and say it, but they're looking for a man to take care of them, to care for their feelings and their, their personal aspirations. They're looking for a man who wants to make a family. They want to have children who look like the husband and who look like them. They want to, they want to start, you know, teaching those kids how to celebrate Christmas and celebrate Easter and, you know, go to school and do this and do that and play soccer. And they want someone to be with them. And men want that, too. But more often than not nowadays, you see all these single people living, single women, single men, and the ones who are shacking up, that's not a long-term arrangement. If you shack up, you're basically saying, we're together until someone better comes along. It's when you marry that you're saying, we're together forever. Come, you know, uh, H-E-double hockey sticks or high water, we're together. 
And you see these men going their own way. They have their own movement called MGTOW. And they're going their own way because these men are saying, you know what? These ultra aggressive G.I. Jane type chicks who they can't cook. They can't do anything to make a home. And I, I know a lot of the millennial men, they grew up in households where they learned how to cook. Just, you know, they, they learned how. So they know how to do it. And there are plenty of men out there who don't mind if a woman can't cook, but they still want someone who can help them make a home. And the natural bent of most men, stereotyping, it's fine, it's rooted in, in truth. The natural bent of most men is not to be the homemaker. So they need a, a woman to help them with that. And the natural bent of most women is not to go out and earn all of the bread and then come home and completely make the home. It's, there's not enough hours in the day. So you got to have some balance and Men are looking for the opposite of themselves. So someone who's soft, someone who's welcoming, someone who's not aggressive, someone who cares about the home, the making and keeping of the home, and someone who will work with them to build a life together. So not someone they can rule over or dominate. There's a bad apple in every bunch. So this isn't about that one bad apple. It's about the majority of men. And women, like myself, we have a son, my husband and I, we're not, we're not raising our son to want some super aggressive G.I. Jane chick. We are trying to show him through our marriage what a functioning godly marriage looks like. And we're trying to just grow him up in the knowledge of the difference between these super aggressive types that are only concerned with their career and a woman who wants to put her husband in their marriage as a high priority in what she's doing and that she understands that bond between the husband and the wife and God. So it's funny to me that we have, you know, this, it's just this, it's kind of a fascinating thing that everyone's celebrating Nancy Pelosi and her success. And, you know, she's a grandma. She doesn't have kids at home anymore. And there's nothing wrong with women, you know, achieving fantastic things in their careers and everything. But the way she lives and the things that she puts forward, it's typical Democrat. She has a very strong marriage with her husband. They've been married for decades. He's very supportive of her. She's very supportive of him. They're both very successful. And before she did all of this politicking, you know, she was still running in political circles, but back then she was a mom. And so she raised the four children and then went out to do these fantastic things in the House of Representatives as an elected official and all the other things she's done. And so people look at her and they're like, I'm, you know, Nancy Pelosi's paving the way for other women. Is she? Is she paving the way for other women to live a life that she didn't live herself where you're young, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? She has a live-in boyfriend, I believe, but she's not married. She's starting off as the youngest elected member of the House of Representatives and she's going to move to D.C. and live there. And there's nothing to say that she can't get married and have a baby and, you know, make a home and still be an elected member of Congress. But is that what Nancy Pelosi did? And then we got a lot of misinformation going on where people are saying, well, she's she's a trailblazer. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi's a trailblazer for women in the workplace, but she didn't start out in the workplace and she didn't sacrifice raising her kids so that she could be the Speaker of the House. And she didn't give anything up. She got all of the benefits of being a wife and a mom and she raised her kids and then she went out and did all this stuff. But what will Ocasio-Cortez get out of her wrong-headed idea spouting and you know, just, just completely putting herself career first and political aspirations first? What's she going to get out of it? The same thing with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, obviously, she is a lawyer. She was a law professor. Um, she worked, but she also raised a family. She, she and her husband had kids. She did all that stuff. Now she's elected and she jets back and forth between her home state and D.C. And it, it's not hurting any children. There isn't anybody for her to please except for her husband. And he's obviously resigned to the fact that she is a political animal. And that's the primary thing that she's going to do. I remember when Elizabeth Warren used to write books about how traditional families with a stay-at-home mom, that that was actually a more financially beneficial prospect than having a two-income household. She called her book The Two-Income Trap. If you want to know how much she's evolved and how corrupted by politics she has become, read Elizabeth Warren's book Two-Income Trap. I mean, I'm not saying she was ever a 
conservative or a Republican, but that book does not match up with the Elizabeth Warren we see today. There's some seeds and inklings there, but it's definitely not. You're, you'll read it and think, Elizabeth Warren, this book doesn't sound like it was written by an American Indian at all. Okay, I'm sorry, but I just had to go there. <laughs> and if you've missed the graphic that President Trump sent out on his Twitter feed, you should type in uh, real Donald J. Trump, I think is, is his Twitter handle, and see the, he, he tweeted out this, um, it's a graphic, and I think it was created by someone over at the Daily Wire. And it says Warren, and it has like blue and red lines going across. So it's obviously a campaign sign. And it says one slash 2020 TH, or TH. So one, one 2020th, <laughs> which is why I say she is his most favorite candidate out of all the Democrats who will uh, possibly be, be running. Uh, so anyway, Look, don't don't get taken in by these people. The elected officials and, you know, all these ones, um, they're not leading the life of example that we're supposed to be like, oh, let me let me check out this politician uh, and see if I can, you know, model my life after her or, you know, unless that's what you want. If you want to be single, uh, you know, <laughs> you want to you want to you want to put your politics before your your personal satisfaction but I know that that yearning and that desire to, uh, you know, to be fulfilled in life for women centers around family and children. And for some women, there are some who it centers around their career and all of that. But at some point when the biological clock starts ticking, and sometimes I hate that, I, it's such an accurate descriptor because for women, we have a certain window in which to bear children. And then after that, it's pretty much over for us. But for men, they can just keep making babies up, you know, on into the, the, the grave. But for women, when you when once all of these career aspirations have been attained and then you realize your biological clock has just shut off, the bell is no longer ringing, there's nothing you can do. Then it becomes really hollow, the, the accomplishments. Meanwhile, people, women who make and take advantage of that window of time when they're younger where they can have the kids and then pursue career aspirations because you can always go back to school, start a new career, open a business, figure something out that you want to do after you've had those precious babes. Then you have the rest of your life ahead of you in which to kind of arrange things in the way that you want, which is something that is unique to our culture. It's unique to America. When I read stories about Japan and, and people in Japan largely living alone and their society is collapsing under the weight of the elderly people who are going on and the, the younger people aren't having kids, they're not getting married, and everybody works, the women and the men, everyone achieves a career, they have a high suicide rate, and then the young people are not making kids because who wants to get married and have kids when you can't afford even one child is too expensive for a couple to have there? They don't have any immigration, which sounds fantastic, but they don't have anybody to you know, help out with these families, to clean the house, et cetera, et cetera. So they've got no options. America is where you can make the decision to have a family in your youth and raise up your babies with your husband and then embark on a career that lasts 30 or 40 years after your kids are in high school or in college or, or out of the nest. Don't be fooled. I... It's, it's just not worth it. The babies are the main thing. That's the main event, marriage and the kids. All right, happy Friday. Back with you on Monday. God bless you. Unplug, and I'll see you back here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk on Monday. God bless.